my my father served in the uh, army between Korea and Vietnam. When I was a little boy. Some of my earliest memories, I would remember finding his box of black and white photos. And I would pull these out, and he had to point him out at first because he looked so much younger back then. But there he is in Germany standing next to his tank with some of his army buddies. And he would get down in the floor with me, or he'd pull me up in his lap, I remember. And we would talk about these things, and I would ask him questions, and he would tell me about his exploits and some of his friends. And uh, as my dad would talk, he would come alive, kind of. And he'd say, you know, you know, son, I've never had relationships, friendships, like I did then, like I did there. My dad would, would tear up. Tank sergeant dad would be tearing up. Uh, you know, I wonder if my father was ever thanked properly for his um, service. I got a kid brother, uh, Tim. I don't know if I remember Tim, the he-man bodybuilder, the guy that I threw out of the house when, his, naked when he was a little boy. And then, you know, that, that Tim. Well, he was, when he was in the Marines, he worked on armaments and Harrier jets. And I wonder sometimes if Timmy was ever thanked properly. Um, I've got several uncles. My mom's the youngest of ten children. And several of her uh, older brothers served in World War II, saw combat, uh, some of them obviously bearing the scars of such. And I wonder if they were ever thanked properly. And then I started thinking, well, how do you thank them properly? What can you possibly say? What can you, what can you do to... When someone has, has taken evil, we're over here playing our games and playing with our trucks and going to school and romancing and dating and watching TV and doing life oblivious in some ways of what's really going on and folk on the other side of the world will then stand between us and evil who has a a, a contract out on us and if they had their way and if they would win we would at the least be enslaved maybe much worse how do you say thank you to such people what what do you do with that well I, i don't think you can uh, at least properly so. How do you thank someone properly? I, I don't know. But I do know this. If you don't even try, if you neglect it, if you ignore it, uh, what kind of person does that make you? If you knew that somebody themselves put themselves between you and evil and took the blunt of that and... and, and paid all kinds of sacrifice and price to keep you safe and to keep you free. You knew that and you never said anything to them. You you, you went on as if it didn't happen. What kind of a person would that make you? My goodness. And we know, and I know there's no way we can know fully some of the, the scars and some of the things that have been endured for us, but we need to seek to try to say thank you. I want you to go with me on a journey this morning. Just a few minutes, Washington, D.C., Vietnam Veterans Memorial Wall. It's uh, black granite. It's about 100 yards long, all stretched out, about as big as a football field. At its tallest peak, it's 10 feet, kind of tapers on the sides. Have you you seen this? You've been there? It's got the name of every U.S. military man and, and woman who were lost or missing in action in the Vietnam conflict. 58,209 names. And as we're there observing the, the wall, we notice uh, a couple. 
They're walking along the wall. Specific, we know they're looking for a specific name. You can just tell the way they're reading them. Then they stop suddenly. And the lady reaches her hand up and she feels the name. And the gentleman backs away a couple of feet. He's going to allow his wife to have this moment, sacred moment, deeply personal moment with her and her memories. The last time she remembered him, he was almost 20 years old. He said, sis, when I get back from Nam, I'm going to college, going to become a dentist. And when you get ready to go to school yourself, I'm going to be making some decent money and I'm going to help you get through college. Now, you don't, don't worry about me, sis. Come give me a hug. I'll see you when I get back. It's the last thing he said. Of course, he didn't come back. We see another, another couple of men walking along the wall. And they're looking for a name as well. Uh, these two guys, distinguished-looking gentlemen, if you were to see them anywhere else, you might think maybe they're businessmen planning a merger or an acquisition, some strategic plan somewhere. But not today. And as they find the name they're looking for, their emotions get the best of them. Uh, the three of them met on the plane on the way over. And their love for hockey immediately knit them together. And they came up with a plan. It's pretty simple. It was survival. And they said, you know what? We've we got each other's back. And we're either going to all die here or we're all coming back together. Let's do this. And their plan almost worked. Just a couple of weeks before they were to leave, an ambush, a firefight, changed things. You notice an elderly woman walking along the wall, and she knows where she's going. She's been here before, obviously. She walks directly up to the spot in the wall. She reaches up and she touches a name. It's the closest she can get to her sweetheart. They, they met in sixth grade, and they knew at six, from that point on, there's going to be nobody else. And when he left her for Vietnam, he left her with three little boys. It would be okay. She'd learn to be the dad as well as the mom. She reached down to the foot of the wall and laid her rose. It would have been their anniversary today. There's someone else at the wall. We see a family come walking in. And the, the, the dad pulls away from the family, pulls out his camera, and he's taking pictures of the wall and all the people at the wall. Uh, the, the, the mom is unfolding her map of all the monuments in D.C. and she's screaming after them which one they should go to next and they've got to hurry up because of the time element. They've got to catch the bus. And, and then their prepubescent daughter is standing there rolling her eyes, talking out loud really to nobody but about how stupid and boring this wall is and how she's hungry and needs to go to McDonald's and how if, if, why can't we go back to the hotel so she can swim? And the teenage boy is playing games on his phone. He's in a whole different world. Now, I think that we can easily categorize two groups of people at the wall that day. There were the people, the family, who, to them, that wall was nothing more than a monument. They didn't really know the people whose names are represented on that wall. They, they knew uh, some of them as far as some history that they've read, but they had zero relationship. Then there are other people there, though, that day who those names and that wall represented, uh, it's not a monument, it represented deep relationship. Now, I think that the church is a lot like that sometimes. People come to church, they know it kind of represents God, and they, they walk in, and maybe they see a cross, and they think, well, that probably like represents Jesus, and Jesus died there. And, and maybe they're not rude like that family at the memorial, maybe they're, Respectful and maybe even admiring a little bit. But reality is, to them, 
church, the cross, it's, it's, it's a monument. It represents something, but not relationship. It doesn't represent... Now, here's the issue. It can be relationship. It doesn't have to be cold and, and sterile and just a monument. It can be a deep relationship. Matter of fact, that's what God, that's what Christ wants it to be. Let me connect, put out some dots and then we'll, we'll connect them. Do you know that there are people here today, I've met some of them, who have literally taken a bullet for you. Other side of the world stood between you and evil and have been hurt for you. Jesus is like that. He came to earth and there were us people who scripture says are really spiritual POWs. They don't even know it per se. And I'll tell you what I mean. Most folk know that there is a God somewhere. I mean, survey after survey all over the world. Most folk know that there's got to be more than what we see. And there's probably a God somewhere. And they hope that he's good and he'll have mercy on them one day. But they feel estranged from them. Most people know there's a God and feel separated from him. Well, you know what? That's a biblical issue. Scripture tells us real clear what the deal is. It says that our sins have separated us from God. Makes sense if God is perfect and holy, and we certainly are not, at least I'm certainly not perfect and holy, and neither are you, and neither are you, then there should be a gap that we can't maybe feel like we can cross over. We try to cross over it by being really good or going to church or doing lots of good things. We think that's going to get us to God. But you know as well as I do, if you've tried to go down that road, you can do it for a while and you still are just feeling frustrated and empty and is there sure there's a God here somewhere? It doesn't, it doesn't work. And Jesus comes to earth. Now think about Jesus for a minute. Never, because Jesus is in a different category. He's God in the flesh. And so Jesus was not a spiritual POW. Jesus had never a, a bad thought in his mind. Never. Not even kind of bad thought. Jesus' motivation, never any negative motivation for Christ. Never did a word come out of his mouth that kind of just colored the truth just a little bit or twisted it or, or was quiet when he should have thought. That was never with Jesus. Never was there a hateful thought or idea or action with, with Jesus. It was no pride. There was no boasting. There was no laziness. There was no negligence. There was no carelessness with Christ. Perfect in every, every, every way. What he did with people is he never hurt them per se. He he would take parents who are hurting because something's going on with their kid and he would heal their child and, and bring them back to the parents because he cared for the pain that the parents were going through. He would feed people who were hungry. He would take those people who were marginalized by society, who were exploited by the rich and powerful and he would restore respect and dignity and hope to them. And it's as if Jesus, God in the flesh, went to God the Father and said, Father, these people are all in spiritual, they're spiritually enslaved and they don't even know it. Can I take their place? And it was as if there was this major prisoner swap with hell itself where the spiritual POWs were able to go free, replaced with Jesus. And when the execution time came, he was executed in our, in our stead. 
And because of that, when, when we give up our trying to be good, our trying to earn our way to God, and we come to Christ, and we, we recognize and we believe and we surrender. Earlier, a few minutes ago, I asked you if you knew that somebody stood between you and evil, and they took your bullet, and they took the pain for you, and you didn't do anything about it. What kind of a person would you be? Jesus did that for us. And so often we pay no attention, we're negligent, we, care, we don't even know maybe, but he did. And knowing that he did, there's a response that's required. And the response isn't a promise, Lord, I'm going to come to church for the rest of my life. Frankly, I'm not so sure he cares about that. But it's coming before him saying, not putting our faith in a prayer. This is not a prayer thing. This is a Jesus thing. This is not a I'm going to be good from this point on thing. You're never going to be good enough. This is a Jesus thing. And it's recognizing that he died and rose for me and coming to him. Kind of like wedding vows, I suppose. But wedding vows, when we say them, we a lot of promises, right? Promises that we intend to keep at the time. But Anyway, we, they're, they're, they're wedding vows. But when you come to know Christ, you can enter in with your belief through prayer. But they're not saying, I promise I'm going to be good. I promise I'm going to go to church. It's not, I'm, 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 I'm. It's you. You died for me. When I didn't deserve it. You gave your life for me. You called me. And so I'm just coming before you. To say thank you. And I. Here's my my life. Have you ever. Given your life to Christ. Or is Christ the church. Still just a monument. For you. Have you ever recognized. What he's given. And responded appropriately. And surrendering your life him. I'm going to ask you in just a second to commit your life to Christ if you've never done that before. And so I'm going to, if you take a moment to bow your heads and close your eyes. Just between him and you, the exact words are not uh, key. But the meaning and understanding behind them And if you would want to enter into a relationship with Christ, you feel estranged, you're looking for that forgiveness and grace and mercy that only he can give, tired of playing church, then right now where you sit, you could pray something like, Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me, for taking the bullet for me, for standing between evil and me when I wasn't even aware. And right now, Lord, I would confess you as my Lord and give my life to you. Pray that you would forgive me, that you would seal me by your spirit, you'd claim me as your child. For it's in your name I pray. Now, look up for just a second. If you did that, I'll tell you what we're going to do. In just a moment... Uh, we're going to take an offering. Again, if you're a guest, or that's not for you. Don't worry about it. Um, but one thing we want everyone to put in, what Bruce mentioned, is there's that card from your bulletin. If you just commit your life to Christ, I think on the top of that card, it says something like, I gave my life to Christ, whatever. Would you check that? And, and stay with me for just a second. Listen to this. 
Because you need to do, you need, I can't encourage you strongly enough to do that. You think sometimes, oh, I'm just going to let that go. Two reasons why you, you need to. Check that. You need, one is for yourself. It's like driving a stake down and saying, yes, I am going to surrender my life to Christ. I have given my life to Christ. Right now, I am claiming him as, as my Savior. And so you, you, that. But then also, it allows us to give you some follow-up materials, some next-step type stuff. And if you just want to talk with someone further about it, write that on your card as well. Put the card in the offering plate as, as, we, uh, as it goes by. And that would be uh, wonderful. After we we're going to pray again for a second, we're going to take up the offering, we're going to sing, and then I'll come up and give you some uh, uh, final directions on, on the meal. Let me pray again. Lord, again, thank you for that which you've given to us. Things we don't even know. Horrors that we don't even know that you had to endure for our sake. As you looked evil in the face, as you took in your body, as you took in your soul, Lord Jesus, what a mystery. My sin, our sin, that we might be rescued, that we might be free. Thank you, O oh, oh Lord. And God, even as we give back a little bit now, that which you've given to us, would you be pleased to use it here and abroad? I do pray that, God, for the furtherance of your kingdom, of your name, Lord Jesus. For it's in that name that we pray. Amen.